The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about all sorts of really challenging issues in the privacy area that really affect businesses all over, and it affects consumers as well. And I was reading this interesting article called Cyber Torts Present New Frontier for Insurance Coverage. And it was all about many of the things that are happening in privacy and the fact that it's such a challenge now with insurance. But we're going to be talking more about all these consumer and business issues that really relate to all the really intricate things that revolve around the internet and the privacy issues. And I have two wonderful guests, actually, who were co-authors on this, and they both are partners with the law firm of Pillsbury, Winthrop, Shaw, and Pittman. First, let me tell you about Mariah Brandt, and she is an experienced civil litigator and trial attorney in the Los Angeles office of Pillsbury Winthrop, Shaw, and Pittman, and her practice focuses on business litigation, including intellectual property matters, contract disputes, insurance coverage for policyholders, and consumer privacy cases. And she's litigated a whole wide variety of complex matters and class actions across a a huge range of industries, including entertainment, restaurant, food, beverage, banking, and technology. And she has also drafted winning appellate briefs submitted to the California Court of Appeal in the Ninth Circuit. And along with her on the phone today, we have Kimberly Buffington, who is also a partner with Pillsbury, Winthrop, Shaw, and Pittman LLP. And Kim represents clients in litigation and intellectual property matters, and her practice encompasses business disputes, commercial litigation, and consumer class actions. And she handles entertainment, intellectual property, including um, copyright matters, false advertising suits, claims for misappropriation of name and likeness, and disputes concerning privacy rights. Just a whole lot of different issues. And she takes the lead on insurance coverage disputes for policyholders in a variety of contexts, including digital media, cyber torts, employment, and copyright matters. And... She co-heads the Los Angeles Summer Associate Program, and she serves uh, She serves also on the firm's hiring and pro bono committees. So these two women are sharp and brilliant and just wonderful to speak to, and I'm so thrilled that you joined us today. Thank you both for coming on. Thank you, Mari. Thanks right. for having me to be here. Yeah. 
So let's talk a little bit about these incredible issues that are going on. Let's start out with Kimberly. Kimberly, first, why don't you tell us what uh, what it means, the right to be forgotten, and you know the European Union's recent right to be forgotten decision, and how does that impact us as Americans in our um, American technology companies? Sure, that's a great question and a very hot issue, Mari. Yes. This summer, the highest court in the European Union upheld a right-to-be-forgotten law passed in 2012. This law gives European Union citizens the right to request that Google or other search, search engines that represent an individual in an unflattering way remove those kinds of search results. Other technology companies and other with similar search engines to Google uh, like Microsoft and Bing have adhered to the EU ruling and followed Google's lead in implementing name search results for EU citizens. So the EU's decision, um, in that case, a plaintiff with 20-year-old tax problems wanted to have those tax problems taken out of any Google search results for her. Mm -hmm. And she won. And the court in Europe held that you have to respect people's right to control what people see about you online. And when you think about it, Google has become the initial way that people access information about people and entities online. We Google business contacts, friends, clients, dates, ourselves. So it's natural that people want to control our images online. While Americans may have those same natural concerns about information circulating about them online, the United States also has a much stronger tradition than the EU of freedom of speech and freedom of the press. So the very real concerns for privacy in a right-to-be-forgotten case would likely be overcome by the American constitutional protections for free speech and free press. Yeah, you know, Kimberly, I'm thinking, you know, here we are sitting on the campus of the University of California and maybe some of these people, um, you know, had said things online and Facebook or in their social networking or done some stupid stuff put up on YouTube. And this is when they were younger in high school and now maybe they're graduating from UCI and they've matured a great deal and they want to go on and get a good job. They're smart. They, you know, they, they want to apply for, you know, uh, advanced degrees, et cetera, et cetera. Is there a, you know, shouldn't there be a way to just ha- be, have yourself forgotten uh, for things that you did when you were younger and, you know, or, or things maybe if you had a misdemeanor or something that shows up or dumb, you know, isn't there something, isn't, is there a right or is there a balance between the First Amendment and the right to be forgotten here? Well, that case hasn't come up in the U.S. yet, but the way that the implications of the case has come up in the United States is that because we're not bound by the EU decision, technology companies are trying to take advantage of the of individuals and consumers' interest in having such bad behavior or old acts forgotten. So, for instance, you see a proliferation or a surge in websites such as forget.me offering to help remove unflattering results from searches of individuals' names. Yeah. The fact that one-third of forget.me's website's traffic comes from, the US, comes from U.S. citizens sort of demonstrates that Americans have an interest 
in disassociating certain web results from their names. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I can understand that. I mean, I worry about the the young people. I worry about my kids are older now, so I'm not as worried about them. But I, I don't know. I haven't seen anything bad, even though I do Google searches on them all the time. <laughs> <laughs> like a good mother should. Yes, exactly. I mean, I, I Google my own name. And I, I, you know, I set up all of these Google alerts because of, you know, identity theft and all sorts of craziness. But, um, but I do worry for these young people who really should have a right to start over again. So let me ask you, Mariah, um, let's talk a little bit about NSA surveillance. That's been huge. I mean, you guys have so much brilliance about all these important issues. What impact will the NSA electronic surveillance program have on the United States companies and their ability to conduct business internationally? That's uh, that's pretty scary what's been going on. Yes, Mari. Um, as most everybody is aware, since it's been all over the news, um, <laughs> NSA contractor Edward Snowden leaked documents that revealed the U.S.'s pervasive electronic surveillance um, which included spying not just on U.S. citizens, but also on foreign nations, such as Brazil and Germany. Um, and it also came to light that U.S. technology companies had been complicit with a lot of this surveillance. So while the um, implications of the surveillance is still unfolding, there already have been some examples of how American companies are starting to lose business because of the scandal. A couple examples are that Germany has canceled its contract with Verizon, um, instead choosing to go with a German company, mm. um, and they cited concerns over uh, U.S. spying for canceling this contract. Recently, Boeing lost out on a $4.5 billion contract to build fighter jets for Brazil, um, and Inside sources said that the NSA problem is what ruined it for the Americans, even though they had been the front runner for some time in this huge contract. Uh, and additionally, Cisco cited uh, recent loss that were backlash based on the U.S. spying that said that customers didn't have a level of certainty uh, and were not buying their product as much. And lastly, there have been recent estimates that U.S. technology companies may lose as much as $35 billion in the next three years based on foreign customers choosing not to buy their products over concerns that they cooperate with spy problems, wow. programs. Yeah. So I was going to say, all of this is obviously not good for American business, but a silver lining has been that, um, that the NF NSA leaks um, – caused a backlash by various technology companies who are eager to repair their tarnished reputations after the NSA leaks disclosed their role. So they, these companies have now been less willing to cooperate and are more likely to be vocal in criticizing the government's snooping. For instance, uh, Microsoft has said that they're making a conscious They've made a conscious decision to focus more energy on making it harder for governments to access information without proper legal authority. And Microsoft has challenged court orders to turn over digital files that were stored in Ireland related to a drug trafficking investigation. And they also fought a secret request for data about a business customer from the FBI. Um, Facebook has been resisting court order warrants for um, almost 400 New York users' accounts on the basis that those searches are unconstitutional. And not to be left out, Google is also <laughs> publicly said that the NSA's uh, mass collection of phone records is bad public policy and perhaps unconstitutional. And Google and Microsoft even sued the government to force it to disclose how often it is issuing national security-related data demands to companies. So while these leaks have, these privacy leaks have caused 
um, negative impact on businesses, there is some silver lining that we are now having some technology companies start to speak up and push for more privacy rights. Right. You know, it's a blessing in disguise, really, first of all, for all of us to know that in the transparency. And, you know, maybe now when when all these other countries see what we're doing to really all these companies are doing to really make up the for the challenges and the and the uh, present legislation that's being presented in there. Maybe that will really give us more credibility because, you know, I mean, I've read also things that other countries are doing spying. You know, everybody does spying. So not that I'm not that I'm agreeing with it because I was not real happy about it. And I've been wanting to get Edward Snowden on my show. But, uh, <laughs> but in reality, it is a blessing in disguise because I think now we will be adhere more to our, our right to to have that transparency, to to protect the Fourth Amendment. So I think in in. In the long run, we may gain back those contracts uh, because we'll have more, uh, more. We'll be considered more trustworthy when we change the laws and we have these companies that are fighting this. So um, that's what I'm hoping for all of our uh, companies here in the United States. Me too. Yeah. So talking about the our uh, constitutional rights. Uh, Kimberly, what do you think of the developments in First Amendment protection for online review services? You know, I myself was not happy with Yelp because they um, unilaterally, when I when I refused to uh, do as advertising with them, I noticed that uh, I had fifteen really positive reviews, and um, and they they hid them. <laughs> They hid them saying they weren't recommended, and I felt like it was really kind of a backlash, and I've I've even written to the Attorney General's office, and then I found out there were literally thousands and thousands of people that um, complained to the Federal Trade Commission on this. So um, it's, it's very aggravating uh, when you have real recommendations and they're saying that their algorithms doesn't believe that they're real, even though my clients put their faces, their real addresses on there. So, you know, it's, it's pretty bizarre. So anyway, what do you think about the First Amendment with all this? Well, I definitely can't speak to their algorithms right. or why they would be hiding your good reviews. <laughs> Uh, but I can talk about their um, the recent decisions forcing them to disclose the identity the identities of anonymous users. Right. So what ha- what happened in early 2014 is that a Virginia court of appeals ordered Yelp to reveal the identities of seven anonymous Yelp users right. who had posted negative reviews of a business called Hadid Carpet Cleaning, and Joe Hadid, the founder of the business sued the anonymous reviewers because he believed that they were not customers of the business and that they were making false defamatory statements. Right. He thought they were competitors, right? Yes. The judge in the case explained that that customers have the right to express themselves anonymously as opinions under the First Amendment, but that negative reviews posted by people who are not customers constitute false statements rather than protected speech. So in that case, Yelp was ordered to turn over the identities of those users' profiles. And then, interestingly, in another case, in late June, a Texas law firm called Grissom & Thompson sued a former client for defamation after the client posted a scathing review on Yelp after being sued by the firm for attorney's fees. 
The lawsuit also sought an injunction to remove the allegedly defamatory review. This complaint is really new, so we don't know how that one's going to turn out. So you have to stay tuned. Yeah. I think, you know, for me, I think the whole thing should be transparency. So if if you're on Yelp, if, if they're going to um, come off across as they are, uh, you know, really... Um, bringing out all the reviews, then show all the reviews. Show them all or have some kind of a way to, to prove if they're not real, you know, if they're really competitors or something. But it seems to me that I have seen so many people who I put something up about Facebook when, when I refused to advertise and then I just told everybody what happened. I had so many people of my friends tell me the same thing happened to them. So there are some real challenges with these review services if they're also selling advertising because there is that appearance of impropriety and that deceptive kind of feeling about it. So um, mm-hmm. I think it's, it should be really interesting what will happen going forward. So let's let's kind of go now to um, looking about mugshots. <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> always you know, an interesting topic. Yeah. Well, we're talking about removing things. So you know, if you put up somebody's mugshot if they were arrested but they were never convicted, that you know, and they were really just picked up. You know, somebody can be, be arrested by mistake. So, what are your thoughts, Mariah, as to the emergence of mugshot removal websites? Well, all right, let me give you a little bit of background of what's happening in that area. So in recent years, an online mugshot publishing industry has developed. Right. Major players including mugshots, busted mugshots, just mugshots. And these companies um, claim to be doing a civic duty so that it's easier to search if, say, your date or your daughter's softball coach has been arrested. And they're putting all the mugshots onto their websites. But in reality, the mugshot websites are making money by charging significant fees to individuals who would like their mugshots removed from the websites. Mm. And, these, and as you alluded to, these websites often include old mugshots, even after charges were dropped or the subject of the mugshot was found innocent. So this can be a very important privacy issue because uh, individuals are tormented or extorted since they don't want their mugshots to be all over the internet. Um, and this has also led to some recent legislation attempting to restrict people's use of public mugshots. Oregon and Georgia recently passed laws that gave the sites that the sites had to take down within 30 days uh, the pictures at no cost of anybody who could prove that they were either exonerated or the record had been expunged. And Utah actually created a law that prohibits the county sheriff from giving out booking photographs to a site that will charge to delete them. And you know, also as you alerted to earlier in the in the program, is that people at some time, you know, when they're young, can do something, or maybe you actually were found innocent, and later in your life, this can haunt you when your employers are googling you and they're pulling up an old mugshot from right. a drug offense or something like that. So while mugshots are public records, the mugshot industry alters the extent to which the person's mugshots are accessible by making them more persuade more pervasive right. in Google searches and charging a hefty fee for removal. So this industry ends up capitalizing on and exacerbating socioeconomic inequalities by giving wealthy people a way to mitigate uh, the impact of their mugshots while depriving anyone who doesn't have the means to do so. And in fact, what's happening is this industry is making privacy inaccessible to many people by charging a premium for it. So basically, the mugshots are making privacy for sale 
which not really a good policy. Um, sounds very, like extortion. Yes, yeah, sounds like <laughs> it's privacy for sale slash extortion. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. You know, we are just in the wild west of privacy. This is so crazy. So, Kimberly, um, let's talk a little bit about, you know, there's so many issues. I just wish I could have you guys on for two hours because we could go on forever. But um, what do you think about Snapshot's failure to actually make photographs disappear as they promised by the app, um, and how will that impact users? You know, the Snapshot concept was so fascinating that it's really disappointing to find out that it didn't work exactly as promised. Mm -hmm. As you probably know, Snapchat is a messaging app that promises to make photos, messages, and videos vanish to other users after a specified time period. Right. Based on the premise, many users were under the impression that it was safe to transmit potentially sensitive data and photos that they might not otherwise choose to send if not for Snapchat leading them to believe that the photos would disappear. But in January of 2014, hackers exposed that usernames and phone numbers of approximately 4.6 million users Mm. um, of Snapchat after Snapchat allegedly ignored the security researchers' warnings about a flaw in the app's security that could enable theft of personal data. And then in May of 2014, Snapchat ended up settling charges by the Federal Trade Commission that Snapchat was actually deceptive in representing that the messages sent through Snapchat disappear and in misrepresenting its data collection practices. In short, Snapchat reportedly does not delete all photos and videos as promised and routinely turns over the user's data to the government or law enforcement without a warrant, and without advising consumers. Unclear what the impact this case will have on the market. Snapchat has definitely taken a publicity hit. and Hopefully the impact will be that Snapchat and other social media apps will take care to plug holes in their security protocols, and those users who relied on the app's promises that content disappears will be less trusting of new apps, especially younger users. And I think what was particularly upsetting with Snapchat is that they were warned about this, and then they just ignored it. Yeah. So exactly. that that was, um, you know, that was almost really intentional then, because they knew and they just ignored it. So that's worse than if they would have done something when they first found out. You know, that would have been totally different. So I think that makes it even worse. You know, and a lot of these things, like when the Fed, and I don't know if my all of my audience knows this, but when the Federal Trade Commission goes after um, a company like this and they find them it there there is no really a private right of action for the client you know for the individual consumers that were hurt they don't get anything out of it except for the fact that they are um, you know told that this isn't going to happen again so they you know you don't really get represented by the Federal Trade Commission I just want people to understand that that if you go to the Federal Trade Commission and or the Attorney General's office in your state, um, they're not going to take your case on an individual basis, but if they hear enough complaints, they will go after the company. So I just wanted to make that clear. So, Mariah, what about Facebook's uh, plan to change its advertising scheme to use information not just from their own Facebook users, but from online activities? You know, then they kind of do a whole profile. What, what do you think about that? Um, I think that is a new hot privacy issue, too. In uh, June 2014, as you said, Facebook basically announced that it's going to be taking information from other websites uh, 
to inform its advertising decisions, which is what other online advertisers do. In the past, Facebook only took its information based on what its users liked on Facebook or they chose to follow. Um, now, the fact that they are now changing their uh, program so that they are using other online activities um, is similar to what other advertising, other companies do, but because of the size of Facebook, they've got over a billion users, this, this takes on uh, a different meaning and has been criticized by privacy experts as coming closer to spying. And uh, privacy experts have also been critical of the fact that the Federal Trade Commission approved Facebook's ad changes. I think the, the main issue is that the recent outcry over Facebook is indicative of larger, larger frustrations that privacy experts have with online advertising and the efforts to regulate it. While there are ways to request your information is not used to build advertising profiles, most Americans are not aware of them or don't understand how to use them. In fact, studies have found that many Americans don't understand that restricting access on Facebook uh, by your privacy settings really is only a front-facing um, restriction and doesn't do anything to, uh, to impact the extent of the information that's shared with advertisers. Yeah. So this is an important issue, and it's good that it's in the news that, um, again, you're saying transparency and that Americans know what information is being gathered about them. And if you know that you are online, what is actually being tracked? And that's important for uh, consumers to be able to have that knowledge. Yeah. And, you know, we don't have a lot of time. I just have one last question, and we've we got to kind of make it brief, but then they can maybe go to your website. But Kimberly, you know, I worry, and I know a lot of other people worry about these healthcare data brokers that are sharing our information and kind of reselling it um, to healthcare providers and, and insurance companies and others. Just briefly, <laughs> you want to tell us your thoughts on that? Yeah, I got to tell you, Mari, this is a little too big brother esque for my taste. I know. I'm, I can't hear you too well. Oh, I have to tell you, this is a little too big brother esque for my taste. Yeah. By way of background, the hospitals are beginning to use detailed information from consumers compiled by these data brokers to identify patients that are likely to get sick. So basically, they call the information from credit card transactions, showing, for example, where a person purchases food, what they purchase, if they belong to a gym, if they go to a tanning salon, and if they're a smoker. And then they use that data to predict whether or not what their health risks are and what their health risk score is. And then they use that to outreach to patient, potential patients. And I think that consumers will find it invasive and an unwarranted intrusion into their shopping habits and their personal lives. Oh, it is. It's crazy. But we have so much wealth of information from both of you. You are just both absolutely wonderful. So why don't you um, give us your website, Kimberly, and then we'll just, we, we, you know, they can maybe go and, and see all the wonderful work that both of you are doing in the privacy arena. Sure. Our website is www.pillsburylaw.com. All right. And, and we will, oh, go ahead. check out our individual bios, Mariah Brandt and Kimberly Buffington, and see um, our particular pra the particulars of our individual practices as well. And also go to our website at uh, KUCI.org slash privacy piracy, and you can see both of their pictures, their bios, and we you can just link to their URL, and we won't miss you. You're wonderful. And we'll have you back again, okay? 
Oh, great. Thank you so much. Okay. Thanks, Bari. Bye-bye. You've been listening to KUCI, 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. and visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. Thank you so much for joining us and write us an email about what's important to you in privacy in the information age. Thanks. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.